are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 61. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jan Levin and Pontus Spökman. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! <laughs> Another week, another, another week. episode yes. of VESP, your real ESP experience. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how's it going? Very well, thank you. All right, how's it going with you? So your rush is over in terms of no working like crazy? No, no, I'm just getting used to it, so fine. <laughs> I'm adapting. You know, pe- people are are like that. They get used to anything. Oh yeah, very good. Well, I'm on a job hunt again, huh? Which is pretty cool. <sighs> yeah. Well, I just started working for a brilliant company selling educational toys and games, and I had to learn them all. And and uh, yeah, lots of science stuff. Pretty cool. I got to explain it to parents and children and everything. And then now, because of the freaking redevelopment of the town center of Brighton, they have to close down for a couple of months. So, and I, unfortunately, I, I cannot afford being without a job for a couple of months. So, yeah. If any of you have a job for Andras, please let us know at info at the ESP.EU. Ha <laughs> uh, Thank you. I think I can take care of that myself, but thank oh, you okay, very much. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I'm still open for suggestions. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a few in the pipeline. Hey. So yeah, it's uh, it's not not that. It's just it's a bit of a pain. Yeah, sure. Hey, aren't we recording this on Darwin Day? It's Darwin Day today. Actually, it is. Yeah, Happy Darwin Day, everyone. Oh, happy Darwin yes, Day. Yes, happy, yeah. happy Darwin Day, and also happy. Happy what? Darwin Day lecture. No, I don't know what that, that was about. That's already over, I... right? Yeah, I've I've been on uh, went to to see the Darwin Day lecture on Friday, and um, it was uh, a presentation by Lawrence Krauss um, about evolution of, of cosmos. But uh, it was presented by Richard Dawkins. I didn't expect to see Richard uh, there, but it was very oh, pleasant surprise. Are you on first name terms with him? Me and Richard. Me and Richard. Right? Me, me and my buddy Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> That's very impressive, name dropping like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to a few events with Lawrence Krauss now, and uh, every time I go, I, I kind of I get either a book signed or something, mm. and I always hope that he remembers. But of course, he doesn't because there's millions <laughs> of people every day, you know, getting signatures and talking to him. Wouldn't that he... be impressive though, if he remembered? Yeah. yeah well. Yeah, I think that I'm a special flower, which of course I am not uh, in many ways. But anyways, so um, he addressed at the end of the lecture, there was time for questions and, you know, a few people uh, raised their hands as always. Um, but it was really good to see that some parents brought their kids at, say, age six, seven, eight, sort of in that kind of range, really young kids mm-hmm. to the lecture. I know the lecture was in some parts hard to understand for, for young kids like this but in some parts it was really good it was uh, appealing to the wide audience and he took two questions one from a little boy and one from a little girl at the end um and the questions were brilliant and and i loved his response like a girl asked him a question she said what is possible in other realities because he was talking about how um in our universe these laws of physics apply but in other universes there might be other laws 
And she was asking about these other universes, what kind of laws th there might be. And he said, oh, this is the most amazing question. I love it. <laughs> I, and, and the answer is, I don't know. And the wonderful thing about it is that our imagination is not as great as the cosmos imagination. So, the, you know, we, we can't really know what other laws are there, but we can always learn and try to discover them and be inspired by this. And I just loved it. He didn't have any problem in saying that he doesn't know. And there was a lot of things that it still is in science that scientists don't know. Um, and I think... I find him so great as a science communicator because he's got, you know, this really clear understanding of what can be explained at this moment of time and what can't. And, and he just puts his hand up and says, no, I don't know. And I think it was very inspirational. I hope that these kids were really kind of inspired by this approach and left wanting to know more. But anyway. Yeah. Very nice. That's what I really loved about this shop I I'm currently working for. When when you see all the kids getting excited about their the little science kits, and uh, there 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 is one called Kitchen Science. I really love that one, and uh, they get really excited, and and even adults, and and you get to explain to them what it's all about, and. Oh, it's a very satisfying kind of thing to do. And I think in a way, what Lawrence Krauss said at the time, he said, with adults, it's probably, in some cases, a lost cause. If somebody's already into something, you know, it's hard to, to change their mind. Uh, but we need to focus on the young generation. We need to focus on kids who haven't, haven't been indoctrinated yet into religion or, and they still have curiosity to explore the world. And I think it was such a great point Um that we have to get the kids excited about science while they're still young, because science is hard, and we have to remember it. And I, but I think it shouldn't stop, and I, and I think we should find a way to kind of keep kids motivated. So yeah, it really appealed to me. Not all adults are the lost cause, hopefully. <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope yeah. Not. <laughs> Otherwise, we're all screwed. <laughs> There are people who who are probably absolutely and and when uh, I mean absolutely lost cause, but but the problem is when when they are in a in a position that that they have power or they they have a say in in what's happening with others, that's a problem. And one of those people is uh, Michel Rivasi uh, from from France, who's uh, uh, one of the members of the the uh, French Green Party. Uh, she's a MEP, a member of the European Parliament. She was the one who was um, going to host the one event in Paris and uh, the other one in Brussels at the European Parliament. Both of these events are of uh, the screening of Vaxxed, you know, that pseudo-documentary yeah, Andrew uh, Wakefield's produ produced movie. by Andrew Wakefield, yeah. Um, yeah. Both of these events have been cancelled, um, and apparently uh, the the one uh, in Paris would have been held on the ninth, and uh, the other one was uh, scheduled for the thirteenth. Um, there would have been another one on the fourteenth in London, so it's kind of a European tour of Vaxxed and Andrew Wakefield, which is quite scary. Um, you may remember that on the last episode we we mentioned that and the efforts of skeptics to stop that from happening. Um, apparently, for now, this is the case. So um, the the screenings, as far as as I know, and the current state of things is that that uh, they are cancelled. 
But the problem is that now they are uh, crying uh, witch hunt and uh, that, that they, they claim that uh, they are being censored, mm. uh, which is usually the case, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how long before they bring free speech. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, just couple of hours ago I, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, there is a discussion group uh, of uh, European skeptics and I just saw that uh, Leon Kurtevich um, whom we all know and uh, we interviewed him as well he's a, a prominent Wikipedia editor a member of the Guerrilla Skepticism Wikipedia project and he says he found a crowdfunding project for the France screening the organizers tried to crowdfund a new venue for tomorrow, mm. which is terrible. So, obviously, with the headline and the cover photo of, of the event on Facebook, says censored, which mm. is disgusting. Mm. But uh, this, this is how they operate. Terrible. Yeah. And this is the latest. We'll know in a, in a couple of days if they have taken place or not. I'm hoping for the latter to be the case. Mm. afterwards yeah what else has happened mm. in the last couple of days not much not much no okay right let's see if we have a couple of news to cover later on but for now i would like to start the show with uh, the usual uh, segment that is titled this week in skepticism and the one presenting it will be yelena levin This week, on the 15th of February, one of the greatest scientists of all times was born. Uh, his name was Galileo Galilei. Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love Italian it. polymath, astronomer, physicist, engineer, philosopher, and mathematician. Amazing. And according to uh, a couple of uh, his uh, biography writers, he, he was he was kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Just saying, just saying. I, I find his <laughs> his life story and achievements fascinating, but it <laughs> still. I just wanted to add that. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. I mean, we we sh- we probably should take this into the account, or or maybe he sh- people his contemporary should have taken this into account and called him out on it if he was a dick at some point in his life. But um, it happened. It did happen. As as the time goes on, I think we should judge him by uh, on a. On the base of what he d- he's done for the for the science, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I don't know. It's that's you know for now. It happened like in fifteen. No, I mean his character. 16. His character had a lot to do with the the happenings around his life. Yeah. And uh, and his case against the, the Vatican as well. So, uh, had he not been that arrogant, um, he he might have just got away with it. But yeah. So he pl- he played a major role in scientific revolution uh, of the seventeenth century. Um, he has been called a father of many things, mm. um, observe, observational astronomy, father of modern physics, father of scientific method, and the father of science. That's like, that's a lot of things, uh, to be honest. Pretty good CV, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you, you might be right, Andres. Maybe his um, personality w- was the reason why he was so driven and um, wanted to discover and, discover and learn loads. It's not what I meant. But yeah, yeah. Um, it was a difficult time to be uh, sort of that scientifically minded, because uh, because of the um, church who would prosecute anybody who had uh, other opinions about uh, life. So w- one of the things that um, sort of I've, I've read about him, he promoted a Copernican theory, 
and was sentenced to life in prison imprisonment for this uh, because because of his this promotion um but then later this was reduced to house arrest and apparently Copernicus never wrote down his theories for fear it would jeopardize his day job uh, so that's how hard the times were but then Galileo came along and just started promoting them left uh, left right and center Almost. Almost. Yeah. Copernicus did come up with uh, with that, and he did provide a full mathematical uh, discussion of the Earth not being the center of the universe and how uh, the Earth is circling around the sun. But because of it being displayed as a, as a mathematical theory instead of the explanation of how the world works... It, it didn't get him into trouble. And Galileo Galilei really pushed for that being the case and that being the, the explanation of reality. And, and this was a bit troublesome. Yeah. So Einstein, apparently, was Galileo's biggest fan, which is great to know. <laughs> um, and he said that all knowledge of reality starts from experience and ends in it. Uh, Propositions arrived at by, by pure logical means are completely empty um, as regards reality. Because Galileo saw this, and uh, particularly because he drummed it into the scientific world, he is the father of modern uh, physics, indeed of modern science altogether. That's what Einstein said about him. There is a lot that's written about Galileo, Galileo uh, lay online, um, and uh, I can probably go on and on about him for, for a long time, which I don't want to do on this podcast but um i just want to mention something about his um remains so um a hundred years after he was uh, he, he died when his body was being moved to, uh, for reburial a fan of his snipped off the middle finger of his right hand as a memento <laughs> and then uh, galileo's finger is now on display erected the museum of history of science in florence Wow. Yeah, and his body lies uh, in uh, the uh, Santa Croce Church in uh, in F uh, Florence. I've seen it several times. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Actually, it is a spiritual experience uh, for me. Kind of. I mean, not not in the the most commonly used uh, sense of spiritualism. So I don't see his uh, his ghost just uh, floating around. It's just when you admire someone's work that much and. You are standing in front of their grave. It's, yeah, it's a bit of an experience. Yeah. It is. I, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I've, I've experienced sort of um, similar sense of awe when I w went to one of the London uh, museums, um, uh, and um, the, there was uh, a massive piece of lava on display, um, Natural History Museum, and th it was millions of years old and it had all the layers hmm. and you could touch it because it, it, nothing will ever happen to it. it it survived um and this experience knowing that this piece of lava was on earth be way before anything that we see around us was was just completely transcendental yeah but yeah I, I often experience the same thing when i i just go down um to the beach and uh look at the pebbles and sometimes when i i see the the chalk cliffs uh, here around uh, uh, Soldine, where I live, it's mm. uh, it's beautiful. Millions of years of sedimentation. It's wow, just mind blowing. Mm. Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So after the uh, Galileo's death, actually, the Inquisition banned uh, 
reprinting uh, of his works and um he was kind of forgotten for a bit. Yeah. In 1741, Pope Benedict XIV authorized publication of an edition uh, of Galileo's complete scientific works. His life was all about promoting science and um, there is a lot, like I said, can be said about him. And he was um, a great champion for science. Um, so hmm. I just um, do you know how how long it took for uh, for the Catholic Church to to say uh, sorry we were wrong about Galilei? Uh, I tell you, I think I know. It was in the fifties or sixties or something. In the nineties, in the nineteen nineties, <laughs> the rehabilitation of Galileo Galilei. It was, yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Almost four hundred years. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. In 1992, three years after Galileo's namesake spacecraft was launched, the Vatican formally cleared Galileo of any wrongdoing. <laughs> Galileo, the, the Galileo spacecraft, that's one of my favourites. Yeah. That is the one that, uh, that took the first uh, really close-up photos of uh, Jupiter's moon, Europa. That's one of the moons but, uh, that are named after Galileo Galilei, by the way. The Galilei moons, the, the four largest moons of Jupiter. They they can be seen with a with a binocular if you if you look at the if you know where to find Jupiter. Yeah, good. All right. Thank you very much, Ilana. Thank you. And long live Galileo Galilei's memory, and uh, yeah, the appreciation of his works. What's the spe- skeptical angle, by the way? Um. Well, this. The skeptical angle is that he, uh, how the science evolved, uh, kind of was uh, thanks to him uh, partially, yeah. um, and uh, the critical thinking and um, the the way to view the world is um, thanks to Galileo Galilei. Yeah, I, I think going against the superstition and old uh, traditions by looking at, but the facts actually point to this direction. I think that that's a skeptical approach. Yeah. And there is another one to mention, I think. Many of the quacks and uh, different so-called inventors um, who, who come up with weird theories about, about how things work and, and how they can provide energy out of nothing and, and stuff like that. They tend to cite Galileo's case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the Inquisition... Uh, silenced Galileo Galilei uh, just like he or she is being silenced yeah. now and look what happened afterwards yeah. uh, but you yeah the, the the only problem is Galileo was right so he he did come up with with things that could be proven and uh, even in his day actually they could be proven and they 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 were actually right it it was very obvious to not only galilei but uh, some of his uh, his uh, contemporaries that that his theories and experimental results that he he came up with are proving that he is he's right about a lot of things he was wrong about some 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 things but uh, but, but, but of... i think the the mistake that they play is i mean yes Galileo was persecuted. That doesn't mean that everybody who's persecuted, yeah. persecuted, are right. Exactly. He just exactly. happened to be right. So, yeah. So no, th- th- that's not enough. You don't. That's not. It's not enough to be persecuted to be right. You have to be right to be right. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like it. I like I it. We should write that down. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Jana. All right. And uh, we're going to move on now to our news items and uh, discuss a few of the latest happenings uh, in the skeptical field around Europe. I think it was a couple of months ago that I was talking about uh, Hungarian fitness guru uh, mm-hmm. being yeah. really wrong. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. with baking soda and uh, lemons and uh, lemon juice uh, being oh, being yeah. a cure for cancer. Okay, now he's at it again. <laughs> oh, this guy! This guy is really slowly but surely becoming the Hungarian food babe. Actually, well. To say the least, he's not the smartest guy ever walked on the face of the earth. But um, this guy, whose works in fitness are pretty respectable. But when when it comes to uh, dietary uh, suggestions and uh, all the diets that he's come up with, it's, it's really ridiculous sometimes. Uh, and at times it even becomes uh, quite worrisome. So now he's uh, leading a crusade against sugar. Okay, I I do understand. I I kind of know something about how the human body works and and how sugars are necessary. But um, an uh, over, uh, over the intake of sugar uh, might cause different problems. So I'm not denying that. But when he goes as far as to say that there is such a thing as uh, saccharotoxicosis, he he's even written a book about that. Uh, that's that's uh, well to say the least, not necessarily based on uh, reliable evidence. But he came up with a different thing now. Do you guys know what a chemical symbol is? Mm. So all chemical elements have a symbol. And that's the period that's in the periodic table. So you you see the the, the different different letters. Yeah. That's that's how we we identify the different chemical elements. Okay. And when it comes to um a certain chemical, whatever it is, it has a formula, right? Sure, yeah. So, he doesn't know what the difference is between the two, but he keeps throwing these these expressions out like crazy. So, so what he did recently was, uh, he said, the chemical symbol of cocaine is similar to that of... Sugar. Sugar. By sugar, he meant sucrose. Now, the problem is that sucrose, as a chemical, does not have uh, a symbol. It has a formula. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, cocaine as well. So he, does, he, he cannot distinguish between chemical elements and chemicals. Hmm. So that is quite a good indication of him not, not knowing what he's talking about. And uh, then he goes on citing um, an, a lab experiment with rats that turned out that they they are prone to developing an addiction towards sucrose more than they are towards cocaine. So this is this is his main argument. And uh, then uh, when he got criticized for all this. What he what he did was even even worse. So um, it he he started citing Google and a Google search 
Google's search engine. So when he started typing, so so you know when uh, the predictive uh, Google search, when when you start typing something and it comes up with yeah, yeah, yeah. with uh, with uh, some suggestions. Now that what that's what he did. Yeah. So. When when he started the Google search and it came up with this chemical symbol of cocaine, and then he said, "Okay, it's not only me now who's stupid, but also Google." <laughs> and then the commenters on Facebook started uh, bashing him for this again, uh, telling him that uh, he's too ignorant to know that uh, Google's uh, search algorithms uh, are based on what people are searching for, not what there is. <laughs> So the truth is so yeah. in a predictive Google search, Google comes up with a with the expression the symbol of cocaine. It doesn't mean that it has one. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know that this this guy is amazing, and he doesn't know the uh, how print screen works either. So the the way he posted this was uh, he took an actual photograph of the, <laughs> the screen. screen. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's That's just fun. amusing. Well. It's just really amusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so his name is Norby. Yeah. All right. I I have heard a lot of um, bad bad press about sugar. Yeah, lately. That that that. I don't know what to think. I, I don't know what to make of it. I I I'm I'm sure sugar isn't that great for you, but like. No, it's there. There are a lot of bad things to say about sugar, but it's still it's still not. Yeah, it it doesn't justify being absolutely stupid and ignorant about it. So. But we. we or if you are. That- just yeah. don't try to convince people of your own beliefs that are based on nothing and definitely not information and uh, certainly not verified information. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I think uh, drug addicts who who are addicted to cocaine will have something to say about that. Mm. I mean, mm. <laughs> you can't compare the sugar and cocaine. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of stupid. <laughs> nice segue okay. there. Uh, we uh, you, we should. This is a bit of a fun one, but has a, some serious angle to it. But uh, again, we're not a political podcast, right? Uh, but we reserve the right to point out when some politicians uh, talk about things that uh, they don't know anything about, especially exactly. when it's relevant to to science and skepticism. Yeah. So now we have a Sweden Democrat. Uh, a member of a local council in Sweden who made the following interesting statement regarding the local bicycle plan. So it's not the huge, you know, world-changing plan, but they want to have a local plan for bicycles in the city. Uh, And he was against it. (laughs) And the statement he released was, just how environmentally friendly the plan is, I leave for others to assess. But one cannot entirely disregard the fact that physical activity through breathing produces more CO2, which we know is a greenhouse gas. Oh! So his position was that this was not environmentally friendly because if people use their bikes more, they will breathe out more CO2 and contribute to global warming. That's so, amazing. Uh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know... I think I think it was hilarious because, of course, the alternative is that they take their their car to work or they do other things. Yeah. But let's let's not promote too much heavy breathing, should we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, because it can lead to to the greenhouse effect. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I really yeah. like it. So the more serious thing about this is there is a worrying thing behind this, uh, and we see that all the time. 
uh, because this might be an example of the, on the new post-fact trend that politicians just say whatever stupid things they can which may sound somewhat plausible but they have no idea of, of what they're talking about and they don't care whether it's right or not yeah so, so that is the trend i think we see that more and more and it's more and more acceptable that you say something that vaguely sounds sciency and then you get away with it. I don't think this guy got away with this. This was too stupid. But there is there is this trend, and I, I still don't understand how this became acceptable, that we don't hold politicians responsible for the truth in what they're saying or whether they have made any... if they have any basis for the claims that they are done. So, um, yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Don't uh, let uh, politicians get away with the, the mm, yeah. statements like this. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure that you you hear or read something and you try to make the connections between the different pieces of information and you come up with your own ideas. And this is sometimes the, the best way of coming up with some pseudoscientific nonsense. Mm. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this is this is more frequent than we would think. Yeah, but someone else has come up with uh, pseudoscientific nonsense that that since uh, has become absolutely a worldwide phenomenon, and it's widely too widely accepted as fact. It's the PH miracle. Have you come across that book? Mm -mm. Um, it's been translated to many, many languages. I know for certain that it is available in Hungarian. But um, the, the the man who wrote it is uh, um, a guy named Robert Young. And the, the title of the book is The PH Miracle. The guy has been a controversial figure, especially because of all the criticism that he, he's got from skeptics and the scientific community. Because he was the one coming up with the acidification of your body uh, being the, the, the central cause of all bad things that happen to you and all, all the the illnesses and all the cancer and everything is caused by your your uh, body turning acidic um and uh yeah this is why it's, it's been nicknamed dr alkaline and now finally he's being prosecuted um and not only that but uh, apparently now he's uh, he's being uh, convicted as well uh so um the prosecution was successful in convicting him um uh, there will probably be um, um an appeal some uh, appeal yeah but uh i think he's he's now not in prison but there was a hundred thousand dollar bail on uh, on his release um which which tells you a lot about how serious the case is so um he's been accused of uh being responsible for a couple of deaths because of his methods uh, not being effective and he's, he's turning people away from actually working treatment and effective treatment and uh, people people are turning towards uh, all the silly nonsense of uh, just applying uh, uh, an alkaline diet uh, to, to fight every different kind of uh, illnesses and uh, cancer uh, problems and everything. So it's a terrible thing, but the good thing is that he is now 
convicted uh we'll see how it develops and uh i'm pretty sure because because he had its uh his his effect on european countries as well uh he has millions and millions of followers uh, all across europe uh it's pretty relevant even though uh his uh, uh prosecution took place in the united states meanwhile um in russia Ooh. The Russian Academy of Science um, has labeled homeopathic uh, medicine as health hazard um, and it's now petitioning Russia's Ministry of Health to abandon the use of homeopathic remedies in uh, all the hospitals altogether. Mm -hmm. So the uh, Russian Academy of Science found that some patients were rejecting the standard medicine in favor of the homeopathic medicine and it's... um, posing um, a, a life-threatening risk because in some instances the conditions are quite serious like cancer or, or um, uh, other other problems, health problems. And basically uh, they're saying that the principle of homeopathy contradicts known chemical, uh, physical and biological laws and uh, persuasive scientific trials proving its effectiveness are not available. So what we've known for a while, obviously citing the research that's been done around the world, in America, in Europe and elsewhere, and... The um, first Moscow State Medical University filed a petition to ban homeopathic principles from being taught in medical schools as well, which is great. Um, and I hope this petition will make a difference. I think homeopathic remedies are not sold as wildly in Russia uh, as they are elsewhere. And if they are being withdrawn from um, chemists uh, across Russia, it won't um, uh make a big uh, financial impact on most chemists apart from the ones that specifically sell just homeopathic remedies which aren't many i think they were citing like one or two percent in in an article so great um effort yeah it's always good that we when you can you know get this confirmed by i'm surprised actually but uh, i'm I'm happy that it goes yeah so great effort from russian academy of science um and i hope their um uh, petitions will succeed Mm. And one more, one more thing ticked off the list. <laughs> Another thing is that um, there are certain uh, sources of information that are, are totally unreliable, and we know that uh, from experience. And uh, well, m- on many occasions, homeopathy is propagated on 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 those uh, channels. Now, Wikipedia. Uh, has been criticized for not being a reliable source uh, for a long time. But uh, the the community of Wikipedia editors worldwide has been at work trying to tackle that problem. And one of the ways they tackle that is um, identifying non-reliable sources to be used as references uh, for different Wikipedia pages and Wikipedia articles. So, it turns out that the international community of Wikipedia editors ruled out the Daily Mail as a reliable source. The Daily Fail. (laughs) The Daily Fail. (laughs) So, yeah, there there has been a a long discussion about that, but uh, finally they they decided that um, uh, only in exceptional circumstances should the Daily Mail be used as a reference uh, because they do not do any kind of fact-checking. They do not uh, try to provide you reliable information. What they go for 
is the sensationalized uh, pieces of uh, news items. And uh, that's not what uh, the community of Wikipedia editors would like to have as um, a tool to be used. So I really welcome that. Yeah. Do you, had, has this happened before that Wikipedia has ruled out a certain newspaper or rather, re- I wouldn't say respectable, but well-known source like this and say, nope. We don't accept that as a reliable source. Um, it very rarely happens. It doesn't do these kind of blanket bans uh, on publications. Well, I think it it has happened. At least uh, it, it's listed in the Guardian uh, article mm-hmm. uh, about this that uh, Russia Today and Fox News have been okay. have been discussed um, in that regard. Uh, obviously, Russia Today being being backed by the Kremlin. Uh, which makes it a um, totally unreliable source, <laughs> I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Fox News being uh, massively biased um, and and also yeah. uh, being all about sensationalization. But usually, uh, normally, the, the guidelines say that um, blogs that are not edited uh, by an, an editorial board uh, should not be used. So if it's a blog written by only one person, uh, that's that's an opinion kind of thing. Uh, you can use it with caution, but uh, but you are completely discouraged to to use it extensively as uh, as a source. So as a primary source. All right, interesting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It rarely happens, but sometimes it does uh, when when it's it's very clear cut, like in the case of Daily Mail, Russia Today, and Fox News. Yeah, so good job, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I believe this uh, this was uh, all the the different uh, news items that we wanted to cover uh, this week. And uh, as uh, two weeks ago, I promised uh, we're gonna provide a bit of an analysis uh, regarding the the different ways to tackle the problem of fake news uh, online across Europe. Okay, so what can we say about the war on fake news on several fronts across Europe? Well, um, fake news and, well, since the inauguration of Donald Trump, even alternative facts <laughs> are, are all over the place, obviously. They're being to- uh, talked about on several channels. Skeptics, rationalists or simply thinking humans with a sense of responsibility are trying to figure out how to tackle this ever-growing problem. Um, It is of the essence that uh, we do not lose the solid ground based on rationality, actual facts, and a critical evaluation of topics. Uh, But what can we do? Luckily, there are a few countries where it seems they have already come up with uh, a few ideas, and what's more, action has already been taken. One of those countries is Germany, where fighting fake news and alternative facts is is not a distant, somewhat abstract goal anymore, uh, but a very real necessity, given the fact that the most influential country in Europe, and I think uh, we we agree that that is the case, um, is about to hold its next federal elections uh, that could easily determine not only the fate of Germany, but also that of Europe. So it's pretty obvious that facts should really matter, isn't it? um, But... What are they going to do about it? You may remember uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the proposed changes in Facebook's algorithms and indeed their principles regarding uh, the, the sharing of fake or doubtable news by its users. 
If you missed it, you can listen to it starting at uh, 17 minutes, 54 seconds. It was on episode 59. Facebook and other social media companies now uh, can face sanctions if they do not take action against fake news and other falsehoods, says Andrus Ansip, the European Commissioner of the Digital Single Market and Vice President of the European Commission, as reported by the Financial Times. By the way, Ansip was the Prime Minister of Estonia for nine years until uh, 2014, and he oversaw, uh, as the Prime Minister, the massive digital reform of the country we've probably all heard of. He brings up the results of the US elections as a terrible example of the of the news cycle getting it absolutely wrong. Um, so the digital chief even mentioned guidelines that are planned to be issued later this year by, by the European Commission uh, regarding the different types of voluntary measures adopted by the online platforms. Uh, the Financial Times reports that a Facebook spokesperson said that the company took the task very seriously so they're, they're working on it, uh, while Google and Twitter declined to comment. Mm-hmm. Ansip emphasized the need for self-regulation, however, uh, by these companies, and uh, he said an interesting thing, that fake news is bad, but the Ministry of Truth is even worse of an idea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing discussion about how much we can actually filter... Uh, the 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 news are uh, spreading uh, across the globe, and uh, yeah, it's it's really not uh, a clear cut thing, and it's not easy. So this still hasn't kept European countries away from taking measures against falsehoods themselves. Germany, for instance, uh, German Justice Minister Heiko Maas and several other go- government uh, government officials have called for action on several occasions. Uh, they are quite concerned that fake news and hate speech on the internet might be able to influence their parliamentary elections due in September this year. Uh, when you think about it, the odds of that happening are quite high. Um, especially when you consider the reactions following the influx of over a million people, uh, refugees to Germany in the last years. Uh, Reuters reported on the 15th of January that Facebook had issued a statement on the German language newsroom that they would make the necessary updates to their platform within weeks in order to reduce the dissemination of fake news. Two pillars out of the four that uh, Facebook proposed in December are specifically mentioned, namely making it easier to report suspected fake news items and working with third-party fact-checking organizations like the German-based Corrective that is one of the signatories of the Pointer International Fact-Checking Code of Principles. Uh, That would be worth a discussion of its own, uh, by the way. Uh, We might do that uh, at a a later point uh, on one of the episodes. So, technically, warning signs will appear next to non-credible posts, and fake profiles and forged news websites will be stopped by Facebook. Uh, I'm still a bit skeptical about the the implementation of all this, actually, uh, but uh, looking forward to it, really. And it would be great to hear from our German listeners about how they see these changes once they actually take place. Mm. Oh, and in the meantime, the German government is currently discussing legislation that could impose fines of up to 500,000 euros 
on Facebook and other online platforms for distributing fake news. Wow. Now that could be an inhibiting factor. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So, but the, but this shows you how concerned they are about the influence that internet hoaxes could could have on this year's elections in the UK. Uh, Sunday Telegraph and Sky News reports that the Cross-Party Cultural Media and Support Committee is launching an investigation to determine whether social media giants Facebook, Google and Twitter are doing enough to stop fake news from spreading. I think we all know the, the, the answer, at least we have an idea, um, at least concerning the present state of things. Uh, but the good thing about this is that the committee might end up questioning the leaders of these companies when they start holding their sessions early summer. Conservative MP Damian Collins, who's the chairman of the committee, told the Sunday Telegraph that fake news stories had been distributed maliciously, specifically mentioning those presenting themselves as real news websites and explaining the risk associated with falsehoods becoming the received wisdom before the actual truth can get out. And that is a real concern. Um, if you if you want to uh, have a further reading about that, uh, uh, there are certain um, articles discussing that. A very good selection of those is available on uh, the debunking handbook. Uh, that's a very good read, by the way, and very important. Um, he rightly points out that social media platforms themselves have a responsibility to ensure they're not used to spread malicious content. Uh, actually, there was a survey commissioned by YouGov recently published that found more than two-thirds of Britons to believe that companies such as Facebook should do more to filter out misleading and fake news stories. However, I should add, surveys and referendums should probably be used more cautiously after we've seen what happened with Brexit. And to give just one example. Facebook has partnered with eight French media companies as well in a campaign they launched recently to crack down on fake news. According to The Verge, who used the Le Monde article as a source, if an article is reported as false by users, it will be sent to a portal that all eight media companies have access to. If at least two of the companies confirm the article as false, with links to support their claims, of course, the content will be flagged as disputed in Facebook's news feed, and users will see a warning before they share it. So that is very well thought out. Uh, they, it seem, it, it really looks like they actually have started building up an actual tool to do it. Advertising against the article will also be blocked, which is very important. Bearing in mind that France will also hold presidential elections this year. Yeah, that's scary. It is really scary. <laughs> it doesn't come as a surprise that, that several fronts have been opened in the war on fake news in the country. One of these is Crosscheck, one of these um, uh, efforts and uh, fronts, which is a collaborative journalism verification project launched by First Draft News, and the partners include French media giants, including Google News Lab, Facebook and Le Monde, uh, already mentioned. The latter, Le Monde, is really leading the way in the fight against falsehoods, as they have already published a list of more than uh, 600 websites that they deemed to be uh, unreliable and the left-leaning newspaper Liberation uh, is working to create a similar database of false stories uh, that that is in the Verge report. 
Le Monde, however, makes a very important point as well, apparently, and that is the financial burden of such huge efforts inflict upon media outlets, as employing enough people to fact-check and uh, publish results of the checks is really a pain for every employer. I, I, I think we, we see that. Um, you've probably noticed a lot of these companies are now asking for donations. So I do encourage everyone to help these efforts by donating to these media organizations. Even though they seem very big, they seem very well funded and established, uh, I, you have to bear in mind that it's, it's not easy to keep that up, especially with all the fake news um, going, going around and about. Um, Latvia... Uh, the Czech Republic, uh, will uh, Latvia and the Czech Republic are also coming up with their own solutions. Um, in Latvia, there is a primetime television show that will be responsible for uh, for debunking uh, false claims, and uh, and that is uh, widely welcomed, um, and uh, that is. That is a pretty good effort. Uh, by the way, the BBC uh, seems to be setting up uh, their own team to debunk fake news. Um, and th th there is a show called Reality Check, uh, the team of which uh, has, has been debunking a few things already, but now they will specifically focus on uh, false news. And uh, the Czech Republic uh, will uh, put together... Um, a specialist unit that that will attack fake news and investigate them first yeah it's 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 a huge national effort uh in the czech republic yeah um so this is kind of the overall picture of of where we're at uh currently in terms of fighting pseudoscience and uh fake news uh online it um, as you see it has a lot to do with facebook and uh, there will definitely be more to come. Google is taking action against um, advertisers as well. Google Ads, uh, the, the AdSense thing. It's a very popular network and it has been exploited massively by uh, the distributors of fake news. But uh, Google has recently banned 200 publishers under their, their new policy on attacking fake news. So that's... I think we, uh, you guys have mentioned it before that that it doesn't look as bad because y you were very hopeful that there will be a backlash uh, uh, following all these these terrible happenings uh, as a result of the spreading of fake news. So yeah, this this makes one very optimistic about the future of the distribution yeah. of news. And I think it will be very, very interesting to see how this plays out, in, in the, not in just in the near future, but it, this is a shift for yeah for the world, really. Uh, this whole post-fact... Uh, uh, Post-truth. And, and then how we counter that in different ways. The world isn't, wasn't really prepared for this yeah. explosion of fake news. And uh, what do we do about it? Yeah. Okay, so I am pretty optimistic now and really looking forward to, as, as you said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the outcomes of this as well. Yeah. Very good. And uh, that leads us towards the, our next item, which will be this time really wrong. So this week, again, I want to celebrate someone who, is in my, who, in my opinion, is, has been really right uh, instead of... Uh, the really wrong thing. Uh, so very sadly, last week we had the news that Professor Hans Rosling had died at the age of 68. 
uh, out of uh, of uh, pancreatic cancer. A lot of people have heard about him, and I think even more now in when he died, there's been a lot of uh, articles about him, at least here in Sweden, I think internationally to some extent as well. So I wanted to tell uh, you about him, if you haven't heard about him, and about his life and why he was such a special character. So he was born in, in Sweden, 1948, was a statistician and a licensed physician with an education uh, and his base in Uppsala in Sweden with the university there. He got very involved with world epidemics in the early 80s when he was the district medical officer in uh, Mozambique and there was an outbreak of disease called Konso uh, in, in the Congo. So he, he went over to Congo and that led to a research uh, that earned him a PhD in 1986. And this is uh, what became one of his uh, specialities, uh, epidemics like this. From 1996, he was a teacher and later professor in Uppsala for healthcare in the developing countries and international health, while still being very active internationally. He just, he, he, he traveled a lot and he was active. His research also became focused on the links between economic development, agriculture, poverty, and health. So he was, and he was an extremely charismatic and pedagogical person. That led him to start the development of a software called Trendalyzer, which was developed by his son, Ola Rosling. This came out of uh, Hans Rosling. He liked to present the statistics in bubble graphs that mm. show the correlation between two different statistics and the the software made these uh, animated so you could see the development over time and that be, it can become very dramatic when he he presented it so he made a lot of use of this in his many ted talks which are very fascinating and of course available online so i do recommend we'll put some links in the in the show notes go and look at them because they are not just instructive they're also very funny he had a lot of other important roles in his life. Uh, uh, I'll mention a few. He was one of the founders about behind the Swedish branch of uh, Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières. He was uh, leading the Swedish commission about the, the big tsunami in 2004. He also uh, presented several documentaries on the BBC. He was, from 2012, he was a member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Science, which is the body that awards the Nobel Prizes in physics and in chemistry, among other things. And he had uh, received a lot of awards through his uh, life, including, I'm proud to say, the Swedish Skeptics Enlightener of the Year Award in 2006. Well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most important things that I personally learned from him and his, his, his lectures is how our worldview is still very stuck in what was true in the early 60s, but is not true any longer. And back then, it made a lot of sense to divide the world into the Western world and the developing countries and based on income, education and average family sizes mainly. But those factors no longer uh, are uh, a good indication of, of how to divide the world uh, but still we still we still believe that it is so we uh, we use it and we try to solve international problems with uh, factors that are no longer true at all 
he had a few critics as well, mainly about uh, being too optimistic in his worldview, because he always pointed out how simple, in quotation marks, it would be to solve certain things if you just look at the world with real facts as a base. Uh, I don't think, you know, uh, it's a crime to be optimistic and showing, yeah. to put pointing towards solutions. So I don't think uh, it's a very valid uh, uh, criticism. I, but, you know, I can't make this uh, justice. You should really go to YouTube and watch some of his uh, TED Talks, as I mentioned. They are really fascinating. I had the uh, the privilege... To... And you will definitely fall in love with his talks. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You know, regardless whether you you uh, agree with him or not yeah. it's fascinating to watch yeah and uh, he used very interesting um, effects to illustrate his points uh, no spoilers I, I i had the privilege of seeing him live once at the european skeptics congress in in stockholm in uh, 2013 you lucky bastard <laughs> i yes i am i feel very lucky so we well it's really you should see him visually but just to give you a little bit of a um, of a, of a flavor of it. I have a 50 second clip that I'd like to to play here. Uh and I think you can you can get the enthusiasm and the the dynamics even without the pictures. Uh it comes here. Here we go. Can you see there? It's China. They're moving against better health. They're improving there. All the green Latin American countries, they are moving towards smaller families. The yellow ones here are the Arabic countries and they get larger families, but they, no, longer lives, but not larger families. The Africans are the green down here. They still remain here. This is India. Indonesia is moving on pretty fast. And in the 80s here, you have Bangladesh still among the African countries there, but not Bangladesh. It's a miracle that happens in the 80s. The imams start to promote family planning and they move up into that corner and in 90s we have the terrible HIV epidemic that takes down the life expectancy of the African countries and all the rest of the world moves up into the corner where we have long lives and small family and we have a completely new world. So he was really uh, charismatic and, and, and an engaging uh, teacher. And the, at, when he was saying this, of course, he had this animation going on on the screen. Go online and see it, but it's it's really fascinating. Yeah. I thought I, I I thought I was hyper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah, no, no. Uh, we actually uh, on the show tried to get hold of him during last year because we wanted to have him on the show, uh, but he never got back to us. And now perhaps uh, the 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 reason was that he was sick. He was diagnosed with this cancer uh, a little bit uh, well about a year ago, and uh, he probably had. Uh, important things to focus on so unfortunately we couldn't get him on the on the yeah. show yeah but we'll yeah. keep his legacy yeah, we'll, alive we'll do what as, we can. as as much yeah. as we can and, uh, <laughs> you know thanks to modern technology a lot of what he did is still available online so you can go on see is it his son um going forward with this yes uh, his son is is probably going to to continue uh, the same things because they were working on this as a charity as uh, organization yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm sure that they will do so there is an uh, there is a fund for um, if you want to uh, celebrate his memory you are encouraged to uh, to donate uh, to a special fund where the money will go to UNICEF in Hans Rosling's name and of course we'll link to that as well very good uh, on there yeah very good so 
For his life achievement of bringing facts to the table, solving issues and suggesting solutions where no one, see, no one else seems to, to see them, Hans Rusling receives this week's award for being really right. He will be sadly missed, and I don't know anyone who can take his place now that he's gone. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. And as his legacy lives on, I think we have uh, a good quote to finish on. It is a quote by Rosalind Franklin, who used to be an English chemist and X-ray crystallographer, um, and it's a quote from the letters to her father. You look at science, or at least talk of it, as some sort of demoralizing invention of man, something apart from real life, and which must be cautiously guarded and kept separate from everyday existence. But science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. Hmm. Yeah, so true. And she's a, she's a real hero. She didn't get all the the credit that she deserved at the time. Do you know what she did? Please enlighten me. I know her name very well, but I couldn't explain it. She was the one helping Watson and Crick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the DNA. With the DNA. So she was the one providing the X-ray crystallography background to them. And that led to the actual identification and discovery of the structure of DNA. So Sure. Her contribution was absolutely huge. Yeah. <laughs> Crucial, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she was not included in no. the Nobel Prize. No. <laughs> well, yeah. we, we know why that is, but these stereotypes and these harmful things are being that's... fought against now, so that's, that's yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let's keep doing that. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep coming back with, uh, with shows discussing uh, the achievements of wonderful people and uh, criticizing a few idiots. <laughs> but uh, I think this has been all we, we had time for this uh, week. Uh, I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, thank for joining you, thank me. You. Thanks, guys. And until next week, goodbye. 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 This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Homeopathic remedies um, Scrap that um, Homeopathic remedies um, are... <laughs>